In today's episode, we're doing something a little bit different in that we're listening to one of my albums, and I'm just talking over it, telling you about the influences and surrounding details for each one of the songs. The album is almost moving backwards, and we are going to cover a ton of ground in a relatively short time. So that's a little bit different, but it's still the show. I'm still your host, Derek Brink, and you are still listening to Empty Checking. Hey there, checkmates. As I said in the intro, we're doing things a little bit different this week, but we'll still do a little bit of talking before and after the main chunk of uh, stuff kind of happens. Uh, this week, we're going to be listening to my uh, one of my two most recent albums. I released two albums on the same day on May 29th, 2021, which happens to be my birthday. Uh, I released uh, Almost Moving Backwards and Happy Now. At the same time, because they were both kind of born out of the same process, uh, but very different albums. The Almost Moving Backwards has more of a, an Americana vibe. Happy Now has more of a rock vibe. Uh, we're going to be listening to Almost Moving Backwards today and talking about it. And even though the albums came out on the same day, I consider that sequentially how they go. I consider Almost Moving Backwards to be the predecessor to Happy Now. So that's... Uh, that's why we're doing this one first, basically. Uh, so we're going to sit, and I'm just going to talk about what went into the songs, give you some insight into the, the influences, the musical influences, and other types of influences, and uh, maybe a little bit of running commentary about uh, what the songs are about, but it's all fairly self-explanatory if you read the lyrics, I think. I try to be clear when I write a lyric. Uh, or so vague that it doesn't matter if you have the right interpretation or not. Um, but yeah, a little bit of business here up top at the front of the show. For those of you who like to drink along with Derek, boy, that'd be a good segment. Pity that I'm never going to say that again. But for those of you who like to do that, uh, what I'm drinking tonight is the uh, Iron Maiden Trooper beer, but not the uh, original Trooper beer. Like, the Trooper beer is fine. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just kind of there. Uh, but they have a few varieties out there. They've got actually a stout out there that I really want to try, but I haven't been able to find yet. What I'm drinking tonight is the Trooper Sun and Steel, uh, I guess, label of, of the beers. And the Sun and Steel is a uh, sake lager. Now, I've never had sake. I don't know if I like sake. But uh, this is, uh, I am enjoying this beer quite a bit. I'm enjoying the Sake Lager, Sun and Steel by Trooper, the Iron Maiden beer. Uh, it's very smooth, very mellow. There's almost a banana-type follow to it that I can't quite explain. Um, and if you talk to somebody with a better refined palate than mine, they may think I'm crazy for saying the word banana there. But uh, that's, that's what I'm getting out of it. And I'm really enjoying it. I'm about halfway through a pint of it right now, and we'll see if that lasts the rest of the show, or if there is a pause that you know nothing about and a second pint mysteriously appears. We'll, uh, we'll find out as, as it goes on. I may or may not tell you <laughs> what the results are. But I'm really enjoying that one, and it's made me interested in maybe trying some sake 
uh, at some point. I've just uh, I've just never had occasion to try it. So I guess I've tried a little bit of it here in this beer tonight. Uh, what is it? It's uh, uh, I'm trying to find what the percentage is on it, just to give you and me a little bit of advance notice for how weird the show might get. Um, get not get. Uh, 4.8%. So that's that's not too bad. That's pretty that's pretty mild. Uh, it's good. It's really mellow, really drinkable. I like it a lot. It's I like it a lot better than I do the trooper like main mainline trooper beer. And I really want to try their stout because I like stouts a lot, but uh, not uh, not hitting the stores around me just yet. So we'll see if that uh, if that comes to me over time. Um. Oh, also, there's a uh, little something I want to address. I got an email from a first-time checkmate out there uh, by the name DF, and uh, DF uh, sent me kind of an, uh, uh, not really a correction, but kind of a helpful email. In the last episode, I talked about Billie Eilish and wondered aloud about how her sort of quiet voice uh, translates in a live setting because she doesn't uh, project super hard on her studio recordings. And uh, DF, apparently a Billie Eilish fan, uh, wrote in and said, uh, first time listener and first time commenter, enjoyed your episode 103, colon, I don't know words. Uh, At some point you wondered how Billie Eilish's low voice translates into a performance at concerts. Here are some examples. Hope you like them. And DF provided uh, five YouTube links, all of which I uh, viewed and enjoyed. And yeah, her voice works perfectly well in concert. And I don't know why I didn't think to just look that up for myself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that that's something that I could have done that I just didn't do. So uh, thank you very much, DF. I enjoyed that. That was very informative. I'll try and put those links on the blog if I remember to do so. Uh, it's great having people out there that... Uh, share an interest, and help you learn more about it. So I I really appreciate that email. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Otherwise, not a whole lot has changed since the last time I talked to you. My back still hurts like hell. I'm using a different kind of soap in the shower. Maybe I'll tell you about that more later in a different episode. I don't know. But I bought a different kind of soap. That's that's all I got. Uh, Otherwise, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into listening to Almost Moving Backwards. If I do this right, we should have about 50 minutes of music, and uh, that'll probably have the show right about where it needs to be as far as length. So uh, hang on tight. I'm going to do a little bit of configuring here with the laptop so I can get the music to play, and we'll start the album. You guys ready? You want to you wanna listen to this thing? Uh, I should remind you, you can get this album for absolutely free over at DerekBrink.Bandcamp.com. All you do is enter zero as your purchase price, and you can take it. Uh, I don't collect your email. I don't even know that you took it. I would just love it if you loved it. So DerekBrink.Bandcamp.com if you want a copy of Almost Moving Backwards without me talking over it. Uh, other sites of interest, there's the companion blog to the show that's over at uh, uh, emptychecking.blogspot.com. Not going to be a lot of pictures there this week, but maybe I'll write up some stuff about the album and whatnot. Uh, but, like, this album actually didn't even come out in physical form. It's it's download only. So I'm hoping to correct that as time goes on, but I just I haven't yet because uh, I haven't really been out in the world yet, and it's if I'm not out there selling it to people, then it's not getting sold, you know, <laughs> or handing it to people, whatever. 
because the physical copies are usually free too if you catch me in a good mood or if you just catch me <laughs> if you catch me in any mood i'll give you a copy of my music uh but yeah so there's not going to be a ton of photos on the blog but emptychecking.blogspot.com for the blog uh the show itself is hosted at emptychecking.podbean.com if you want to know more about me that's derekbrink.com and of course you can listen on your app of choice which you are probably doing now uh so i think that's all the business i think that's everything i had to say let me mess with the computer and we'll come back and hopefully you'll be hearing some music and i'll be talking over it which is the most frustrating thing in the world and it's just a gimmick to try to get you to buy it so you'll <laughs> listen to it uninterrupted but uh coming up here next the next sounds you hear will be the opening to my album almost moving backwards get ready Okay, we are off and running with track number one, a song called Live Your Life. This is one of my favorites of my songs. I've had it sitting around for a while. It's existed in a couple of forms. It uh, it was on the uh, Sorry I Didn't Mean to Shout collection that I put out a few years ago. Uh, I did a YouTube video, uh, video of it that got shared a little bit by some folks. You may have heard this before if you're familiar with my career. Also did it in a couple of bands that I was in with my brother. Blue Tattoo in particular, and uh, I like the song a lot. You can probably hear a pretty clear Drive-By Truckers influence on it. It's very, very much in that world, and uh, uh, so was the band that I wrote it for. It's it's a song just kind of about uh, things being important, what's important in your life, and and taking chances and doing what you believe you need to do because you only live once. And the line coming up right here is one of my favorite lines I've written. Whatever doesn't kill you might just be taking its time. Which is a very uh, negative thought. <laughs> but it's uh, it's kind of emblematic of, uh, of some of my belief system. Like, you may not know that you've got the thing that's gonna kill you, so you may as well live like you haven't got long left, you know? And that's not saying do crazy shit and get, you know, hammered off your face and do drugs and all that. That's not what I mean by living like you haven't got long left. I just mean live in a way that people will say, wow, all the stuff he did, you know, if you if you went tomorrow. Um, which I have tried to do in my own life, and I've failed to do in my own life. We all go back and forth on stuff like that. The song itself was written a little bit with a former roommate of mine in, in mind. Uh, his name's Derek as well, spelled differently, who uh, passed away young. And it's not really about him, but it's kind of informed by my feelings about that. And that's that's kind of where this came from. When I initially released this as a YouTube thing, a friend of mine listened to it and... Uh, and called out that line, whatever doesn't kill you might just be taking its time. And he he said, ha ha, that's such a great line, man. That's hilarious. You always make me laugh. Which upset me quite a bit. And because that was, to me, a very serious line and a very introspective line. It wasn't meant to be funny. And so after that, you may notice my career took a very uh, dark turn in, <laughs> in what I do in my lyrics. It got really serious and really heavy. And uh, if you don't like that, then you can uh, take it up with Chris Cheney, who uh, <laughs> who 
is the reason that I write the way that I write now, because I wanted to be taken seriously. Um, for better or worse, whatever. I like how this came out on the album. It's got that uh, cool organ sound in there, and the entire album, by the way, is mixed in mono. I, uh, I didn't do stereo separation on it, and I was, uh, I was just really happy with how this came out. There's a, there's a six-string Gretsch guitar bubbling away in there, and, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good mix, and it's, a, it's one of my favorites of my songs. I'm glad that it exists in this form, and uh, I hope that, hope that maybe you are too. I don't know, but uh, that's, that's Love Your Life. That's the first one. We're gonna head into song number two here. Again, whole albums in mono. Uh, song number two, I uh, is boy, I don't know how much I can say about it without either saying too much or not saying enough. It's um, called "Then and Again," and uh, I guess one of the first interesting things I can say is I started writing this on banjo, but you'll notice there's absolutely no banjo in the song. There's there's a harmonica. You can hear that harmonica, very sort of Neil Young-inspired moment there. Uh, other influences on the song would be pretty Sunvolt-heavy and like Jay Farrar-type stuff, but that harmonica is pure on or full-on Neil Young. Uh, the song is... Uh, I, I like it. It's one of the last ones I wrote for the project, and it's uh, I, I enjoy listening to it. I enjoy playing it. It's... Uh, it just kind of, it surprised me that it came together as quick as it did, and that it came out as well as it did, and I was, I was just, I was really happy with how this just kind of came together, this song. Um, you can probably tell, uh, by the way, references all throughout this, I reference Van Halen and Rush and, uh, The Who and The Ramones, and, uh, just that's... I, I tell people that sooner or later my songs are just going to be music accompanied by a list of the names of friends and bands that I like. That's uh, that's where I'm inevitably heading, and that's all over this one. You can probably tell lyrically that it's uh, a little bit about a relationship that went sideways and you regret it, but you've kind of come back together and things are nice again. And that's, uh, that's, that's what it is, and it's... Uh, I, I, I'm not gonna say any names, but it's it's low key. Well, it's high key. <laughs> Just an overdue love letter to uh, and by love letter, nothing. I mean that in like fellowship of man way, not in any way romantically. But it's it's just sort of a uh, sort of a uh, overdue like warm hug to a uh, guitar player that I was very close with. That I kind of messed up the relationship at one point, and we went our separate ways. And as adults, we kind of came back together and became friends again. And I just thought, you know, I was just reflecting on that and thinking, yeah, it's really great that life came back around to where we like each other again. That that makes me happy to know that we were on the wrong foot at one point in a way that I know hurt us both a lot. And by my own fault, I'll admit that. Um... But, you know, hatchets get buried because a hatchet's a damn stupid thing to carry around. And uh, I was just very happy to be thinking back on that relationship and that friendship and and realizing, yeah, it's, it's, it's great that, you know, we're in our 40s now and we are friendly, you know, and we can hang out and we can get guitars out once in a while and, and you know, if, if occasion arises. And it's just nice, you know? 
Uh, it's just nice that, that that life worked out that way. So that's that's what this song is. It's just a uh, it's just an overdue, like I said, kind of an overdue love letter to a friend. But, like, not that kind of love, but like a friendly love. Uh, <laughs> nothing to worry about. Um, that's really all it is. But it's, it, it's a very simple construction, a very simple, straightforward progression. There's that 12-string uh, kind of birdsy-sounding guitar bubbling around in there that I'm really happy with, too. That's a 12-string Gretsch that I bought when I turned 40. That was my 40th birthday guitar. Uh, and uh, I, I used it heavily on this album and the and the other album that came out the same day. Uh, I, I really like how this came together. The construction, like I said, is so simple, but sometimes the simplest stuff is the nicest, you know? And uh, we're in the bridge of the song now, which is a little bit of a change, goes into a minor thing, but still in a, in a major feel, you know? Um, yeah, I just... I, the, the the one slightly trite, slightly pretentious moment of the song is coming out where everything drops away except for the vocal. That's uh, right here. Uh, there it is. Oh, vocal, and there's a little bass and that 12-string. I'm sorry. That's kind of a kind of a cheesy move, but I think it works in this song, because the, the song itself is kind of saccharine, so why not have a little bit of a saccharine gimmick in it, you know? And there's that Neil Young harmonica coming back. That's, uh, I, I, I like playing the harmonica. I don't... I, I almost said I don't get to do it enough. I don't give myself occasion to do it enough. I could play harmonica whenever I want to. I just, I don't do it as much as maybe I would like to. Although one could say if I would really like to do it, I would do it. I'd sit around in my house, I could just be playing the harmonica, watching TV. But uh, anyway, I, 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 I like it on this song, and I like it in general. And I like how this song turned out. And uh, uh, my one... Like, the one thing I might do a little bit differently is I might make the fade out a little longer. Like, this should be fading out here, <laughs> I think, here in the kind of double or triple chorus, depending on how you measure it. Uh, but, you know, not bad. I'm, no regret there, really. I just, I'm, hindsight after time, I might fade it out a little bit sooner, and uh, or at all, really. It doesn't fade out at all, but otherwise, a good song. I'm, I'm proud of that one, and it means a lot to me on a personal level. We are into the song Rebecca now, which is a little bit different from the other stuff on the album or that I've been writing in the last several years. Uh, it's uh, nobody out there that I know named Rebecca or, or Becky or whatever needs to worry about this. Uh, it's named after the novel by Rebecca du Maurier which also was a movie starring Laurence Olivier in, in the, I think, 40s. It's in black and white. Uh, it's 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 a very well-known novel, and I, one of my favorite novels. I like that book a lot, and I've read it several times, and I just, uh, I've had the line, I'll never forget Rebecca, stuck in my head for years and years, and I've done demo drafts of this song before with different lyrics, and uh, but that's always kind of remained in it. And uh, I just, I wrote this one from, sort of from the point of view of the main character of the book whose first name we don't know she's just mrs uh 
uh, oh god, Mrs. DeWinter. <laughs> that was embarrassing, sorry. Um, but yeah, I just kind of wrote it from, like, I'm singing through her eyes, kind of. So I'm playing the role of a woman in this song, to some extent. But it works if you just think it's an unrequited love song, too. Uh, Influence-wise, you wouldn't guess it, Lou Reed. Heavy influence on this song, especially that sort of opening part with the kind of staccato broken chord stuff that reappears in the outro. Uh, That's straight up out of his sort of playbook, I guess. Uh, I'm thinking particularly of his song uh, Ecstasy. Ecstasy is a Lou Reed song that's not as well known as some of the other stuff. Like, it's not Walk on the Wild Side, but uh, it definitely influenced the construction of this song um, and the construction of that riff. Uh, You can hear that 12-string Gretsch bubbling away in here again as well, too, by the way. And There's there's a little bit of a Drive-By Truckers vibe to this one as well, I guess. That's, uh... I mean, yeah, that's there. (laughs) <laughs> now that I'm hearing it. But uh, in my head, it was a Lou Reed song, but just Lou Reed in a major key, which is <laughs> kind of uh, kind of unheard of. But uh, And not about heroin, but, you know. Uh, yeah, Rebecca, again, just about the novel by, Rebe- by uh, Daphne du Maurier, which I like a lot, and that, that novel's kind of... It just seems to keep popping up in my life. Like, before I even read it, I saw the Mama's Family episode that referenced it and had, like, frame of reference for... You know, like, as a kid, I saw that and had frame of reference for the story of Rebecca long before I knew it was a book. And I read it in my very early 20s, and I'm here in my very early 40s still thinking about it and writing songs about it and, uh... Uh, rereading it and things like that and and reading up on the life of Daphne du Maurier. I, on a recent episode of the show, I talked about uh, the book Manderley Forever by uh, Tatiana Durazne, which made me read more of Daphne du Maurier's stuff. I've read Jamaica Anne and I've got a couple others in line to, to keep reading. She's a very good author, very gifted, but Rebecca is probably the one that everybody at some point comes into contact with and uh, she both loved and hated that, you know, as anybody who has a hit does. I think uh, I think it might have been her publisher that said to her that, uh, well, the press is never going to forgive you for writing Rebecca, which uh, so you know, which just meant any time that her name came up, so did that book, you know, which and I wrote a song, <laughs> you know, <laughs> based on it. So that's that's kind of what's happening here, but. Yeah, very Lou Reed influenced and very Drive by Truckers influenced, and uh, probably a couple other things in there too that I can't think of. I mean, anytime there's a 12 string electric guitar, there's that's just the birds, you know, but uh, also written by Daphne du Maurier, the birds, not the band, the movie and book, uh, short story. But, uh, oh, hey, we're at the end of this one, so I should stop talking about it. But I like that song, and I. Wish I had spoken about it more eloquently. (laughs) After the Storm is another song that I've had sitting around for a while that was done in my band Blue Tattoo. And possibly also, uh... Possibly also in the offshoot that came after that that was called, uh, The Social Gospel. I can't remember if we played it in that band or not, but... uh, The Uncle Tupelo influence is clear on this one. 
Uh, there's a song that uh, uh, Jeff Tweedy sang when... Sorry, that's my text message sound, which happens to be the Star Trek communicator sound. Let me turn that off so I don't further out myself as a nerd. What was I saying? Uh, Jeff Tweedy sang a song with Uncle Tupelo that uh, the vocal from this, like the vocal styling of this, is... I'm just virtually ripping that off. I, I'm not exactly ripping it off, but it's the influence is heavy. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the song right now, and I'm not gonna get it, and that's... That's embarrassing. If you know it, then you are screaming it at the... at your device right now, because it's it's a very obvious influence, but... Anyway, yeah, this is very Uncle Tupelo, and, uh... Although not not so much so that I'm in any danger of just ripping them off, uh, but it's it's there. Uh, I like the staccato section, this this bridge, the kind of you know, dun 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 dun. I like when songs do that, and so it, that's why this one does that. Is I like it when it happens. I also like the background vocals here. I put a lot of work into the background vocals of this and the other album, just because I I'm a big fan of background vocals. Like, I don't think I'm ever happier than I am when I'm sitting in a recording session recording background vocal parts. That's I love doing that. I just love playing around with that. And I do it in front of a piano so I can sort of test out different, you know, com chord combinations and things and create fun background vocals. But we're uh, we're at the end of the song already. It's It's kind of a shorter one, but that's After the Storm. Like playing that one a lot, and I'm glad that it's out there for people to enjoy. Gonna hit a song now called Every Day, which is very Pearl Jam influenced and very Neil Young influenced and very Jayhawks influenced, which you may or may not hear, but... And there's that slide guitar that's just a... That's a Jason Isbell slide guitar. I mean, I, I'll... You know, nothing I can do about that. <laughs> it's, uh, that's how Isbell would play that, that line, I think. Um... There's another one where I'm proud of the background vocals and the harmonies in it. I'm I'm just I like doing background vocals, uh, but yeah, very. Uh, those are those are kind of the influences on it, and it's a song about. I had the chorus for a very long time. Just every day is another day, and nothing stays the same forever. But I didn't know what it was about. I didn't have the verses for the longest time, uh, and then one day I was on Twitter and saw the news break, as so many people did, that Lynn Shelton had passed away. Uh, Lynn Shelton, the director of Little Fires Everywhere, is maybe the thing she's best known for. She also, at the time, was uh, in a relationship with Mark Maron, who is one of my favorite comedians, and uh, does an excellent podcast that you probably have listened to called WTF with Mark Maron. Uh... I, I I heard that she had died, and I got very sad about it. And I got sad on a level that I wasn't that familiar with Lynn Shelton, but I was very familiar with Mark Marin. And I just thought, man, that I feel so bad for Mark, you know. And and uh, just sort of walking around thinking about that and feeling that the verses to this song came out within an hour. And on the original lyric sheet for this, and if you ever get the chance to see it. Maybe I'll put a picture on the blog if I remember. Uh, the original lyric sheet, still in the corner of the... Like, in the margin, 
has uh, 4MM in, just written there. Kind of scrawled there really quickly in parentheses, and that's for Mark Marin. So the song's for Mark Marin. Uh, I think I might have tweeted it at him, which I debate whether or not I should have, but he didn't reply e- either way, so at least I don't think. <laughs> I only vaguely remember tweeting it, and if it, if I did tweet it, he didn't reply, and uh, if he did, I missed it uh, if, if I tweeted it in the first place. That was a very circular line of thinking, but um, I don't know. It is that thing of, uh, I, I think the central line of the song, the one that defines the song for me is don't lose yourself losing someone else. Uh, it's just a song about, hey, stuff sucks. It's not going to stu- suck forever. Get through it. Get to the other side. Nothing stays the same, and that includes the bad things. And that's that's uh, that's what the song is. And uh, I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. I like playing it. It's, uh, as much as it is, you know, for Mark Maron, it's also advice to myself. Because uh, I tend to, like, in my brain, everything is either the best thing or the worst thing, and I often don't even notice the best things until they're over because I'm looking for the worst thing. And uh, so it's, it's yes, it's dedicated to Mark Maron, and it, 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 it happened because Lynn Shelton died, but it's also advice to myself to just remember that every day is different, and tomorrow you might wake up and feel fine. You know, and tomorrow you might wake up and feel worse, but the day after maybe you'll feel a little better, you know, and that's, uh, that's maybe a central message to everything I do as a, as a writer, as both a musician and whatever else I do, but, oh, hey, look at that, the song has ended, so I'll, I'll shut up, but that's, that's what every day is, it's for Mark Maron and so on. Everybody's Wrong takes a, uh, depressing turn. <laughs> That was me pausing to drink my beer, um, which is doing fine, by the way. We're about halfway through through the the album, and I'm on the same beer. Um, this one's very personal. This first verse is absolutely true. It's about uh, a friend of mine lost her daughter in a terrible accident, and I, I just I was friends with both of them and watched how it tore her up and continues to tear her up and was going through my own stuff and, you know, fell out of contact a little, but we are a little bit still in contact and it's all very complicated and the song's just about the experience of loss and about how in the chorus I say everyone wants to tell you someday you'll move on, but somebody ought to tell you that everybody's wrong about that. Uh, Because at some point during every day, if you experience a major loss, you're going to think of that person. You absolutely are. And sometimes there'll be good memories, and you'll laugh, and you'll smile, and you'll feel good. And sometimes you'll have those exact same memories, and you'll break down in tears. That's just what loss is like. And it's one of the greatest lies that we tell people is, oh, it'll, you, you, it, you'll, you'll get over it, you'll get past it. No, you won't. You know? And in this verse that we're listening to, I tie in the death of my own mother, uh, which uh, this verse was very harsh at one point because mom and I didn't have the best relationship, uh, and I at one point dove deep into that. 
uh, in this verse, but I decided to pull it back because I didn't think that was going to do anybody any good to hear, and I didn't think it was going to do me any good to put out in the world. So I, I just sort of dialed it back to be more general about loss. I realize I haven't said a thing about the influences on this one other than the personal stuff. It's, it's hard not to talk about the personal stuff on something like this. Um, this is going to sound weird. Primary influence on this song? Amanda Palmer, formerly the Dresden Dolls, married to Neil Gaiman. Amanda Palmer. She put out an album in uh, 2019, I think, called There Will Be No in Intermission, or There Is No Intermission, one of the two that is just very sparse and just very much her playing piano and being very confessional and having a very sort of jarring sort of staccato vibe in places and that that heavily influenced the production of this song. This part here with the ebo coming in is almost almost a dream theater <laughs> section. Uh, there's there's a dream theater song that that part sort of reminds me of now that I hear it back, but I can't remember the name of the Dream Theater song, so it wasn't a direct influence, I don't think, but that's that was almost a prog rock segment there, and uh, but we're, we're fading out on the just vocal and guitar. That guitar I'm playing belonged to my grandpa Harold, Harold Brink, uh, and is a 1930 Gibson that is worth absolutely nothing, because at one point the neck broke off, and he fixed it. Uh, and he also sanded off the finish at one point for reasons that he had. Uh, so it's it's worth nothing, but it's uh, it's worth a lot to me because that's Grandpa's guitar. And uh, that pops up here and pops up a couple other places on the album. It pops up on most of my albums, but uh, that's what's that's what's here. And we're kind of uh, we're kind of fading out with that. And I don't know. I. I the song was so personal, I needed the personal connection of using Grandpa's guitar on it as well. So that's that's kind of what's happening here. And I like that guitar a lot, and I, I like that song. I like that song a lot, but I also don't like listening to it. Because <laughs> uh, it, it is very personal in that way. But um, I think appropriately handled, especially since I dialed back some of the, some of the stuff I was going to say about my mother. Uh... But yeah, that was Everybody's Wrong. We're going to move on to a song that's in a similar vein, but just from a different perspective, I guess. It's uh, Some People Never Change. You can file this one in the category of unsolicited advice to a good friend's adult son. You know, that old trope. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a true story. It's um, I've got a friend who whose husband was a... A, a preacher who cheated on her and, and they divorced and his son didn't see much of him for 20 years or, or close and uh, this was just kind of like nobody asked me for my take on it or anything like that I you know I don't hardly ever see the kid and by kid I mean grown adult uh, <laughs> who is younger than me I, I like never see the guy, but it's just kind of the thing of like if I if I sat that 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 kid at the time that I wrote this, he was still a teenager, I think. I think he was like eighteen, so I'll say kid. If I sat that kid down and gave him any advice or, or gave him any sort of version of my take on it, this is the take I would give him. So that's that's kind of what this is lyrically, and uh, also working out some of my feelings about that situation even twenty years later. So you know. Um, 
Musically, it's influenced, I don't know if you'd guess this, it's influenced heavily by Paul Westerberg, formerly of The Replacements, uh, who puts out beautiful solo work, and this is sort of in the vein of his album uh, Suicane Gratifaction. And, uh, uh, yeah, Westerberg was a heavy influence on the styling of this. And, uh, although when I'm in this register of my vocal, that's almost a uh, Jeff Tate-type influence. When I'm singing that low, I'm almost channeling Jeff Tate just to get those notes out. Um, but it's it's mainly Paul Westerberg. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's some people never change. Played a lot of piano on it. I, I really like... Uh, I like how the piano turned out on it, particularly. And accompanied very nicely by that guitar. That's, uh, that's my 1973 Martin there that is that's the guitar that's playing i like that one it's short and to the point and pretty and uh, a little bit heartbreaking so it's that's i like when that happens in my in my work uh this one's a little bit different too another protest song it's uh it's a protest song about just what's been going on in our society with covid19 and with uh what was happening at the time I was writing it was, I mean, the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and it just felt like I needed to say something. And uh, this is what came out, is another protest song. A little bit of that Neil Young harmonica in there again, although I would say that one of the primary influences on this is uh, David Bowie, uh, particularly his song Quicksand. Uh, I almost... I come very close to referencing it lyrically, even. Uh, in fact, almost anything on the Hunky Dory album kind of <laughs> fades into this song a little bit, but I, I get very close to just outright referencing uh, Quicksand in this song. Because I'm about to say uh, I'm living proof of Reagan's lies, uh, where in the Bowie song he says he's living proof of Churchill's lies. So I just kind of lifted that and little bit of an homage to Bowie, just to acknowledge <laughs> that I was uh, uh, vibing on Bowie when I wrote this. But um, probably one of the more political things in my arsenal. Uh, it's up there. There's a m even more political, well, or an even more social justice type song on the Happy Now album. But this is... This is up there for the most political and the most uh, socially relevant song that I've written. And nobody ever mentions it to me. <laughs> I, uh, I think it makes some people uncomfortable. I'm just hoping that it makes the right people uncomfortable, you know? That's, uh, that, that line that just passed us by, Here I Don't Fear COVID-19, that is the most topical, like the most currenty current event topical that I think I've ever gotten. Uh, <laughs> again, until the next album when you hear the song where George Floyd and Breonna Taylor are directly mentioned. Um, I don't know, man. It, this song just kind of came out of the fact that I had been isolating in my home for close to a year at that point, and uh, in fact, maybe more than a year at that point. I'm not really sure, but uh, it, uh, it, it just kind of came out of this is what I'm feeling in the midst of this, and I've got to say something, and this is what I said. So, there's not 
a lot else to say about it. I mean, really, it's th this is one of the ones I'm going to struggle to fill out the rest of the track on, but uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You listen to the lyrics and you know where I'm coming from. It's, you know, what's going on is wrong and what's going on needs to be addressed and we need to get through it because nobody needs to hear people sing songs like this. You know, that's... Uh, but, but right now, that's all I've got, as I just sang. Uh, that's, uh, that's what it is. That's all it is. It ends on the question, is there anybody listening? Which is uh, a little bit Pink Floyd, a little bit Queensryche in its uh, origin as a statement as well. So that's that one. Moving on to one of my favorites on the album, a song called Danielle. Uh, I like playing this one. I like hearing this one. This uh, a lot of my heart went into this one. Um, uh, boy, this is—it's going to be difficult to know what, where to stop talking on this one. Um, I, you know what? I'm going to start with the musical influences. There's very much a Pete Townsend thing in what I'm playing. In the vocal, there's a little bit of that sort of Queensryche Jeff Tate low register that I was talking about on the previous song, wherever that was. Some people never change, I think. Uh, also heavily influenced by uh, Mark Lanigan and his album Field Songs. Uh, the tuning of the guitar is different. I'm in open C tuning, which is sort of uh, an open tuning for those who don't play guitar. It means if I hold down no frets and just strum, it sounds like a nice clean chord. But, you know, you move your hands around and you can get different sounds out of it. And uh, it's a different... It's a different way of playing, and it makes you have to think differently and, and play differently. And and it's just always interesting to play around with altered tunings, and I particularly like going really low on my altered tunings. Um, unfortunately, that's about as far as I can go with the technical stuff, so I've got to get into the personal stuff. Uh, although I will say in the bridge, there's a, there's a bridge coming out where the e-bow pops up again, uh, uh, which is an electronic bow for the guitar that you hold it over the strings and it sustains that string forever. Uh, and I, I like that part a lot, just in case I'm still talking when it gets here, which I probably will be. Um, I like to I like to use names in my songs, and there are a lot of times that I'll use a name and it's just just a name. You know, uh, there's a lengthy uh, example of that on the Happy Now album. There's a fly in the room. Sorry. Uh, there's a lengthy you know, version of that. Or on the uh, It Could Be Worse album, Amanda, I'm Tired. That wasn't about anybody named Amanda. Uh, Rebecca, earlier on this album, wasn't about anybody I know named Rebecca. Uh, Danielle, uh, there is a Danielle. It is questionable how much of this is about her <laughs> and how much is just sort of me, uh, walking around in a bummed out breakup headspace type of thing. Um, different versions of this song have been floating around, or different, not of this song, different versions of this lyric have been floating around in notebooks since 2014. So, uh, anybody who's guessing, uh, maybe that throws a, a wrench in it. Uh, I like this part where I'm singing higher and louder. Um, I, I, I wish I had more to say about the influences on this. It's it's hard to tap into what I was channeling here, but uh, yeah, there yeah, there's a there's a Danielle, there's a Danielle out there. I'll I'll cop to that, but 
I don't think she has to worry <laughs> about it. We're not going to talk about it, you know. Um, there's... We're right here on the one sort of hacky rhyme in the song where I rhyme hell with Danielle. That's such an easy thing to do. But I think I got away with it. <laughs> I think there's enough emotion going on in the song that it's, uh, you, you don't notice it unless it's pointed out to you. And I just pointed it out to you, so, you know. Um, I like this song, and I like the, the word pictures that are in it, and despite it being a sadder song about, like, a breakup and a sort of what-could-have-been type of song, I, uh, it makes me feel kind of good, too, in a way that I cannot explain to you. But I, uh, I like this one a lot, and I like how it turned out. I like the, uh, the kind of brushes on the snare drum and, and the, the very sort of quiet parts balanced to get against very loud parts. I always like that vibe. Oh, thank God that's over and I can stop talking about it and not risk saying too much more. Uh, <laughs> but Danielle, actually one of my favorites on the album. And I gave it a nice long fade out and a little bit of extra time between songs, just to, just as a break there. So now we're into Heaven Knows, which I, when I first wrote it and first started working on it, I thought it was going to be a much bigger arrangement and have all this other stuff going on. And it got taken down to just being very sparse. There's a guitar and there's some synthetic effects that come in to mimic other instruments that are pretty convincing, kind of Mellotron-y. And, uh, uh, just very sparse, very kind of almost vacant feeling in places, and I... What happened is I demoed it, and I liked the sound of the demo, and I decided I want to keep... I want to keep it as close to that as I can, but I do want a little bit more on it, so I'm gonna add in some string sounds and some flute sounds and just little things, but it's not gonna get crazy. There's no drums, there's no bass, it's just... It's gonna be very sparse, and I'm, I'm happy with how that turned out. It's got kind of a Pearl Jammy vibe in that way. Uh, it's maybe a little bit Sunvolt influenced again, maybe a little bit Pete Townsend influenced. Maybe a little bit solo J. Mascus influenced. If uh, you pick up like the Tide to a Star record or something, maybe this is kind of J. Mascus influenced too, but I mean, it ended up very Pearl Jammy. In my head, it wasn't Pearl Jammy at all, but hearing it back, yeah, this sounds like a quiet Pearl Jam song. You know, one of their um, uh, like present tense or something like that. Just very stripped down you know, straightforward type of, uh, type of thing. And I like the guitar riff a lot. I'm, I'm pretty proud of that one. Um, and, uh, did I, what guitar did I play this on? Was this, this might've been my grandpa's guitar again. I think it is because it's slightly out of tune and it's impossible to keep a Gibson guitar in tune. Uh, <laughs> which by the way, yes, I know it's slightly out of tune. Uh, doesn't bug me. I decided I heard it back, and I decided, you know what, that adds to the authenticity, and I like it, and I'm keeping it. And you probably didn't know it was out of tune until I just told you, either. So, uh, I did, because I, you know, you have to know that about your own stuff. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of this one. And it's just, just sort of an existential, yeah, who knows what comes next type of thing, and 
we're all trying to work that out, and we're all trying to figure that out, and you just do the best you can. And I heavily reference that Footprints poem that everybody who's ever been anywhere near a church has had read to them. Uh, that I actually don't like the Footprints poem very much, but uh, it's such a uh, cultural touchstone. I thought it was something worth sort of touching on in, in this song, where I was writing about doubt and I was writing about faith and writing about the balance between the two. Uh, I referenced the, foot, the Footprints poem, which for some reason Christians think it's going to convert people to tell them the Footprints poem, and it, it really won't. It's it's not that good of a poem, but uh, it's a sweet idea, you know, but and that's sort of what's at the heart of this song, is that there are a lot of really sweet, really good, really well-meaning ideas out there, and it's up to us to figure out what, what works, you know? I'm not even gonna say what works for you, I'm gonna say what works. Um... Because I am of the belief that there's probably an answer, you know? I don't think that, uh... Even though I'm here referencing Pete Townsend's The Sea Refuses No River, I don't necessarily think that all waters flow into the same sea. I mean, I do kind of. I think we all end up before God, uh, and but I think there's probably a right answer for how you get in, you know? And I don't have that answer. I don't know what that is. Most of my life I've been a Christian. But uh, I'm not even necessarily espousing that in the lyric. I'm just, uh, just walking around and, well, what comes next and... and how do we figure it out, you know? <laughs> um... I'm, I, I feel like doing the commentary over this track, I'm, uh, if, if you want to call it a commentary, I feel like I'm walking the line between pastor and atheist as I'm, <laughs> as I'm trying to avoid giving you any outright uh, proselytism, um, which is kind of what I'm doing in the lyric, too. I'm, I'm sort of saying, look, you don't know until you know, so do what you, do what you think is right. You know, and, and have reasons for what you think is right. I think if anyone has to take intent into consideration, I think it has to be God. Maybe that's uh, as close as I'll get to a sermon on that one. Um, that's Heaven Knows. That's one of my favorites on the album. It's one of my favorites I've written in the last probably ten years. I, th that song's pure Derek Brink, you know. And I hope you liked it, because it means a lot to me. And, uh, it's one of those I just sit around playing in my, in my free time, just pull out a guitar and just kind of noodle with it and sing through it a few times. One of my favorites. I hope, I hope it's one of yours too. When do the, we're, <laughs> try that sentence again. We're into the song Those Things, uh, which heavily Rufus Wainwright influenced. Uh, I'm nowhere near as good as Rufus. But this is his influence on my writing coming out. And uh, it's it's sort of a sister song to Heaven Knows in some ways. It's just uh, about what's important and figuring out what's important to you and making those things your everything. 
and I don't know what those things are for you. Uh, this And this one, I'm going to say, figure what, out what that is for you. Because uh, that's going to change for every person. But uh, uh, I do a lot of walking around in this in the lyrics of... Uh, you know, sometimes, some days it all seems impossible, sometimes it all seems too wonderful. Uh, and then I do sort of the negative of that in the next, in the next verse. And it's uh, a balance between good and bad in the, in the vocals. And uh, it's another one that I'm very proud of, the background vocals. I'm actually happier with the background vocals on this one than I am the lead vocal. Yeah. Uh, it's out there in the world now, so nothing I can do about it, but I'd kind of like another pass at the lead vocal on this one. Uh, and yeah, went with calling God a woman in the lyric here. I don't know. It's, uh, I grew up in the 90s, and that was an edgy thing to do at the time. <laughs> I guess that's, that's as much explanation as I can give. Uh, although I do think that God has many feminine, uh, traditionally feminine, uh, personality traits that we don't talk about uh, and I've, I've always felt that God is neither a he nor a she but more of an it um, and I, I, I really think that God possesses both what we would traditionally view as masculine and feminine traits and we just refuse to explore the feminine ones because the Bible was compiled by men uh, so, I don't know, that's maybe just a little shout-out to that there, that, you know, God's more than what you have been told, you know. Um, but this, uh, this last little bit is the heart of the whole song. Some things keep me tr smiling and keep me trying, and those things are everything. And that's, uh, that's what the whole song is. And like I said, that's just sort of, that's sort of my attempt at a Rufus Wainwright song. I would love it if he would sing it someday. He would sing it so much better than I did, and he could have as many passes on the lead vocal as he wanted. Little symbol hit at the end there. And uh, to my disbelief, we're already at the last song. This has gone by pretty quick for me. I've enjoyed doing this. Thank you for listening. Uh, the last song is called Futile, or Futile, which has uh, really no relationship to the lyrics. It's not mentioned in there at all. Sometimes I do that. I just name a song with a word or a feeling and let the lyrics do whatever they do. Because there's not really, a, not really a solid chorus in this one, so there was nothing to sort of hang your hat on as far as, well, it has to be called this, obviously, because I say it 16 times. Um, musically, uh, this one is much more Jason Isbell-influenced in than I realized even as I was working on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I played it back after the final master, kind of doing the final proof of it, and I just kind of went, well, yeah, that's an Isbell song. That's <laughs> that's uh, an, an Isbell-influenced song. It's not one of his songs, obviously, but uh, although he doesn't do this much with the background vocals, and I debate about whether or not I should have done this much with the background vocals on this song. Uh, although I'm pretty happy with it, it's a full kind of choir arrangement, and I'm singing very, very high in some of the background vocals. You may be able to hear that. Which, uh, is not really in my range. That's me singing very quietly, very close to a microphone, and turning it up very loud. That's how I'm getting the, the very high-pitched vocals. But, uh, I like the high-pitched vocals and the background vocals. I just wonder if this one maybe should have remained a little bit simpler in hindsight, but 
whatever. Um, I like it. It's a breakup song. You know, it's, it's, although it's more than a breakup song, it's kind of a, uh, it's, it's a song about, uh, being someone's sort of go-to or backup relationship and just sort of being sick of being that, you know, that's, uh, that's what the song's about. Again, not going to name any names, uh, but that's, uh, that's, uh, that's what the song is. It's, it's just kind of. There's a there's a sense in the lyric that well look obviously we're gonna do this again and at that point it's gonna suck again and it's gonna end the same way again and then we'll do it again and we're stuck to repeat this pattern forever and that's that sucks you know and that's why it's called futile or futile depending on what region you're from um, but yeah that's 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 what it is and it's uh, it's a very kind of sad song to the to a very bright happy sounding melody <laughs> that uh, I, I like doing that I like doing happy sounding songs that are not happy and that's uh, that's definitely what this one is um, this is a uh, this is a lyric that if some of the people involved took the time to think about I would absolutely be in trouble uh, but <laughs> fortunately, none of them have up to this point, so that's that's okay. Um, and it wouldn't mean anything to anybody else. I think you have to be involved in the situation to, you know, know what I'm really getting at. But that's as much as I should say about that. Um, we're I, I uh, we're at the end, and this last line. Um, Sometimes living with forgiveness means you can't forgive yourself. I don't even know if I believe that. But it seemed like where the song was going, and I just sort of said it, and it's a line that a couple people have mentioned to me as meaning a lot to them, and I'm glad it does, but I honestly don't know what it means to me, so don't don't put too much pressure on somebody else's words. Sometimes they're talking out of their ass, and uh, that was me a little bit talking out of my ass. But I still like the song, and I like playing it. It's very Irish, and... Uh, it was hard to play in that way because it was difficult to find one because it's sort of parts of it are playing in 6-8, parts of it are playing in 3-4, and uh, it was hard to marry that, but it, it got there in the end, and I'm happy with it, and I think it's a good closing track. Uh, and talking of closing tracks, we're done. We're done listening to the album. That was almost moving backwards, which I'm very proud of, and I like listening to a lot uh, with minor exceptions. Um... I have said of the two albums that I put out on May 29th, uh, Almost Moving Backwards and Happy Now, I've said of those two albums, when I'm listening to one, it's my favorite of the two, and when I'm listening to the other, it's my favorite of the two. Uh, so I, uh, right now, this one's my favorite of the two, because I just got done listening to it and talking to you about it. I hope it was fun for you. I hope it maybe gave you some band names to check out, or some album titles to check out, or song titles to check out. Um, and I hope you enjoyed a little bit of a look behind the curtain on, in how I, uh, how I approached this album and what it meant to me. Um, I don't know that there's anything else to say about it. I'm just happy with how it turned out, and I'm happy that people have seemed to like it, and it's done good numbers and all that stuff, and you'll be hearing those songs pop up in between segments of this podcast for probably years to come. Uh, health permitting. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's almost moving backwards. One of my favorite things I've done. 
I mean, anytime I put out something new, I say it's one of my favorite things I've done, but it is one of my favorite things I've done. I, <laughs> I stand by that this time. Um, at least for now. We'll see what happens after the next album. Um, <laughs> whenever that is. Doing two albums at once and doing very different albums at once got very complicated, and whatever I do next is going to be simple as hell, I, I promise you, but um, I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, yeah, that's I, I like that album a lot, and I hope you do too. Again, available for absolutely free over at derekbrink.bandcamp.com. All you do is enter zero as your purchase price, and you can take it, and I don't collect your email. Won't even know that you took it. I would just love it if you loved it. Uh, folks, we are at the one-hour mark in the podcast. Uh, we got through the whole album, and I did not quite get through all of my one pint of beer because I was talking to you. So uh, congratulations to us both. I'm looking forward to wrapping this up and to getting uh, to my second pint of beer. Uh, this uh, Iron Maiden Trooper Sun and Steel beer is uh, really good. It's, it's very drinkable. Um, thanks. Thanks a lot for listening to this, for indulging me on a self-indulgent episode. Uh, the next episode you hear will be a traditional empty checking episode. It'll be a normal one where I'm just talking about whatever. Uh, and then the one after that, I'll be doing this same thing, but with my album Happy Now. I'll give a little bit of time between for the folks who don't like this type of format and don't like hearing my music. Because uh, there, there are some of you out there, sure. I mean, that's, that's fine. You, not everybody likes everything. Not that I'm devastated by that, but uh, uh, thank you if you listened to this despite not liking my music. I appreciate that. And if you do like my music, I hope you liked hearing me talk endlessly about it. We'll do it again in uh, two episodes. We'll talk about Happy Now, not in the next episode, but in the one after. In the meantime, thank you so much. Uh, please continue to practice good common sense with covid meaning get vaccinated if you're not vaccinated. Uh, if you can social distance, please social distance as much as you can. If you cannot social distance, please wear a mask. If you go near others, let's all get healthy and stay healthy together. We've got we've to do our part. Things are going badly because we're not doing our parts. Uh, so please be sane and treat COVID the way it needs to be treated. Uh, be, be responsible. Uh, along with that, please remember that black lives matter. Trans rights are human rights. Women's rights are human rights. And be good to each other. Be good to yourselves. Forgive each other and forgive yourselves. And while you're doing all that, check us out next time. Oh, the phrase almost moving backwards is in feudal. That's why the album's called that.